meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do you recognize those words? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's Joseph's words. Back in the book of Genesis, uh, you remember his brothers, really, they were had evil on their minds years before, uh, seeking to kill him. Oh, no, we won't kill him. We'll sell him into slavery. Get rid of him. They meant evil. But now, years and years later, Joseph says to them, you did mean it for evil, but God, in the midst of that very same evil, worked for good, to save, to rescue, to bring life. What the powers of darkness meant for evil, God meant and used for good. And that's not just a Joseph thing. That's, the scripture tells us, what God is always doing. This week we had our spring Presbytery meeting. If you're new to Presbyterian circles, a, a Presbytery is, is the, the official body of the regional church. Uh, so for our particular body, it's, it's the, the state of New Jersey and Puerto Rico and all the Orthodox Presbyterian churches in that territory. Uh, and every spring, four times a year actually, but this time in the spring, uh, the pastors and ruling elder representatives from all those churches, some 20-plus churches, gather together to meet and discuss and try to advance the work of the kingdom. Well, we met this week, and, and we did what we, uh, we almost always do, which is spend a significant amount of time sharing with one another what God is doing in individual congregations and then, and then praying uh, for, for the needs and, and work of the churches in our, in our area. And this week as we met, and as we discussed, there was a, a very distinct theme that emerged. In the hour, hour and a half that we were sharing and praying for one another, the, 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 the cry, the, the message that bubbled up again and again was, pray for unity. Pray for unity in the church. Pray for unity in the church. There were different specifics that came up, some having to do with the pandemic and then what different policies, mask policies and program policies that were involved. Uh, some details that came out had to do with issues of politics and social issues in our day, but this same theme throughout, pray for unity. Pray for unity. One of our elder statesmen in the Presbytery made this observation. Wow, it, it really sounds like the devil's having a field day. But not just the United States. It was the very next day that I ran across an article uh, that came out of Russia, a story that came out of Russia and the church there, and how totally unrelated to our issues and challenges uh, that the, the political uh, uprest and upheaval in that country it has the evangelical church very much divided. Uh, how do you deal with the, the protests and the violence and, and, and the churches is, is divided and threatened and not sure how they're going to stay unified? Right? Pray for unity. Sounds like the devil's having a field day. But what if, what if that Joseph principle is still true? What if that Joseph principle that 
what the powers of darkness mean for evil, God means for good. God works for good. What if that is still true right here, right now? That sure, the powers of darkness seek to make a mess and disrupt and harm and destroy God's church. But what if at the very same time, in the very same things, God is at work in his sovereignty for good? What would that mean for us as, as we think through where God has us? Perhaps giving us a sense of excitement even? That, that, that though there's difficult things, that God is, God is doing something? Well, we actually get to test that this morning. Because in, in God's complete providence, quite aside from any of my planning, it's this week that we run across this passage. Uh, this passage, just the next one in our series. And, and you see what it's, what it's all about. It's all about unity. right? Preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace among believers and uh, you, we get to, get to narrow in on that, that theme and that application of the gospel. And yes, we'll see there is a walk for us to walk in. There's, there's work for us to do. That's part of where Paul is going in, these, in, these, in this section. But remember, the, the walk is connected to the gospel. Uh, and, and not only empowered by it, but, but engulfed in it. Uh, and I think we'll see. That as we, as we dive into the details of what God is calling us to do when it comes uh, to the church and preserving unity, that it actually has us drawing near to, to the very core of our hope, the very core of our faith. In fact, uh, most specifically, it has us coming face to face with the supreme blessing of our salvation, which is knowing Jesus. That in the midst of God working in us to preserve unity, he will have us knowing Jesus more and more and more. So that at the very time when the evil one means to destroy, and in the very things we're forced to think about unity, here's God doing the supreme blessing of having us know Jesus more. Let's, let's take a look. Our passage, two key parts, uh, two key points. I want to actually take them in reverse order. Um, I think it logically it, it works. Uh, so uh, there's really two key parts. Uh, one, or two through three, is all about the practice of unity, essentially. And then four to six is more about the basis for unity, so for, uh, for logical sake, I want to reverse the order, and we'll go through go a little briefer through the first one so we can spend a little more time on, on the second. So the, the basis of our unity, uh, here's what we're to do. Meditate on the oneness of God and his gospel. So four through six, at, right after Paul says, right, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, there is one hope, one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is uh, over all and through all and in all. So the basis of our unity. Paul kind of hits you over the head with it, doesn't he? One, 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 one. Seven of them. But really, there's only two main categories of oneness that he gets into. The oneness of God and the oneness of his gospel. 
And there is, is the basis for our unity as his people. Where it flows from, what it's empowered by and connected to. The oneness of God and the oneness of his gospel. Right? The oneness of the Godhead. Right? He mentions all three persons of the Trinity, doesn't he? Uh, so, uh, verse 4, one spirit. Uh, verse 5, one Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 6, one God and Father, referring to God the Father. So, Father, Son, Spirit, the oneness of each, and together the oneness of the Godhead. So, one God, one gospel, right? Which is really where the other four terms come in. They're all, all getting at the gospel from, from different angles. So, one body, one body of Christ, the body into which we are saved. Uh, one hope, the hope of our salvation. Uh, one faith, probably referring to the faith that we confess, uh, that truth uh, that we together confess as, as, our, as our hope. There's, there's only one. And one baptism that marks our entry into that one salvation. That our unity as the, the body of Christ, and of course, again, you could think body of Christ uh, more broadly, so, body of Christ around the world, uh, what, what keeps the body one, and even think more specifically or more locally as the unity of a local church. It applies in both places. Uh, that unity is based on the unity of God and the unity of his gospel. It's fairly simple uh, as an idea, but you can see how it has some real helpful elements to it. So, one, it reminds us that unity is based on truth. Unity is based on truth. Uh, sometimes in discussions of getting along and being united, you can kind of get this idea that, that truth gets in the way of unity. Uh, some people even say, oh, doctrine divides. Uh, well, Paul's here saying, rightly understood, no. Because it is truth that actually unites God's people. Yes, it, is, it, it, it will have us realizing that, that not every belief is going to keep us together. Uh, so you, you reject this one God and this one gospel. There's no way you can have the unity that God intends in the spirit in the church. But with this one God and this one gospel, this is, this is the truth that unites us. And so we got to demonstrate that even this morning as we, as we confess the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, this creed that's been confessed down through the generations, God's people, uh, focusing in on that one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the, the one hope of our salvation. Uh, and, and believers have confessed that, and it is part of what binds us together. And even we got to demonstrate it here. We all use the exact same words together in unison, right? And it, wasn't, it was a demonstration outwardly. Uh, what I trust is true inwardly. This is what binds us. This is the basis of our unity. Our, our faith and trust in the truth, one God and one gospel. So it is based on truth. It is bound up with good doctrine. Uh, but I think Paul also shows us here, as he chooses to focus in on some things and not others, that we're not talking about every single doctrine. That there are some hills you die on, and, and some hills you don't. Uh, there, are, there are some hills so significant because this is the basis of who we are and what holds us together that, that yes, we'll, we'll die on this hill. One God, one gospel. But there's a lot of other things that we just, we don't die on those hills. We shouldn't. 
Perhaps you've been in, in circles or, or gotten to brush up against some uh, Christian circles where it seems like they do die on every single hill. Every little issue, doctrine, practice is a hill you die on. And you, you get to see, given enough time, it doesn't make for unity. Because uh, you, can't, you can't stay together very long if, if everything is, is something that you, that you die on. And here Paul seems to see, say that, yeah, there are such things as secondary issues. We might, uh, we might have passionate convictions on them. We might base them uh, from Scripture wisely. Sometimes in certain issues, we, we, we can't do both things at one time. And so there has to be a, a choice in a particular congregation or body of congregations. Uh, but it's, it's not that one God, one gospel that we, we die over. So meditate on the oneness of God and the oneness of his gospel. That's more the basis of unity. And then it has us thinking about the, the practice of it. And here's where we're spending a little more time. Walking in Christ-like character. That's a good summary of what he's calling us to. Walking in Christ-like character. It's verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> there Paul says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So he, he ties up that uh, maintaining, preserving the unity of the Spirit, the unity that God creates, we, we're called to maintain it and preserve it. And he ties it together with four character traits that we're to walk in. Four character traits. Uh, actually, the, the, there's two sets of two. Uh, the pairs are very closely related, and so, so we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, humility and gentleness, and patience and forbearance. Uh, they're very much connected. So we'll start with the beginning, humility and, and gentleness. And I think there's kind of a flow here. So again, we'll spend a little more time in the beginning, go quicker towards the end. Humility. What, what is humility? Well, you can define it by its opposite. Humility is the opposite of pride, the opposite of self-exaltation. Uh, so humility, in, in part, uh, thinks about, well, thinking rightly about ourselves. That's how Paul describes it. There's a parallel passage to this in Romans. Paul's doing the same therefore gospel, therefore walk, and doing the same thing of running straight to unity in the church. And here's how he, he describes uh, humility there. I think it's helpful. He says, chapter 12, verse 3, I say to everyone uh, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Think with, with sober judgment uh, so that you're thinking of yourself the way that actually matches reality. Sober judgment, right? Not, not, not drunken judgment, uh, but sober judgment, a way that actually matches Reality, not more highly than, than you ought to think. So, for example, uh, that's going to mean that I can't walk into the room thinking that I am the center of the universe. That doesn't match reality. I can't think it's all about my glory and my greatness and therefore my preferences reigning supreme because that's not sober judgment. That's a drunken conception of who I am. That just doesn't match reality. Of course, that's the temptation we have, isn't it? Uh, we tend to think of ourselves as the center of the universe, and you can quickly see how that makes for difficulty in, within the body of Christ 
uh, because uh, if I walk in thinking of myself as the center of the universe, and you walk in thinking of yourself as the center of the universe, guess what? There's about to be an explosion. The solution? We should each think of ourselves with sober judgment. What matches reality? Here's another one that I think is, is helpful in terms of matching reality. Uh, you and I uh, must be careful to, to realize that neither of us are the fount of all wisdom. Neither of us are the fount of all wisdom. Uh, and so when we get into uh, to difficult issues, uh, it doesn't mean we turn our brains off. We try to work through them and, and be as biblical and wise as possible. Uh, but I have to walk into that issue uh, thinking soberly, which means, okay, I'm not the fount of all wisdom. Therefore, I could be wrong. There's a decent chance I'm wrong. I still do the hard work. And of course, you, you on your side, you still do the hard work. You think through biblically, get wise counsel. Uh, but thinking with sober judgment means I'm not the fount of all wisdom. You're not the fount of all wisdom. I might be wrong. You're thinking to yourself at the same time, yeah, I might be wrong. Humility. So it's thinking of ourselves in a way that matches reality. Uh, but our, our scripture reading this morning from Philippians shows us that Jesus takes humility another step further. Because uh, there, Paul is doing another kind of gospel, therefore walk idea. And there he talks about humility. And he, here's how he, he expresses what this looks like. We read this this morning. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So here's part, another aspect of what humility looks like. You're counting others as more significant than yourselves. And then he's going to explain that and illustrate that by saying, look at Jesus. Which takes it to a whole new level. Because, well, Jesus is the center of the universe? That actually does match reality? He is the center of the universe, the fount of all wisdom. And yet, as Paul describes, he doesn't cling to those privileges. To use Paul's language, uh, he doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, that which he is by right, by nature, the glory, the privileges, the rights that Jesus has, he doesn't cling to them. He voluntarily sets them aside to take the low place. Humility. He has the privileges, it matches reality, but he doesn't cling to them. He takes the low place, servant, unto death, death on the shameful cross. He goes to the, the lowest place in order to think of others more significant than himself, namely us. He doesn't cling to his privileges, though he has them by, by right. He doesn't cling to them. He takes the low place in order to save you and save me. This is our only hope in, in life and death, that Jesus will walk this road of humility. And here's actually where, where gentleness hooks in. Uh, these two concepts are very much uh, related. Gentleness, sometimes in the Bible, the same word is translated meekness. Same word, same idea. Uh, gentleness, meekness. It's, it's very much connected to this idea of consideration for others and willingness to waive one's own rights. So gentleness or meekness doesn't mean you lack strength. 
But what it means is that the strong choose not to exercise that strength. And that, that even choose to reserve it, uh, hold on to it, control it, in order to sacrificially love another. And again, Jesus is the supreme example. Jesus actually puts these two words together himself as he describes himself. Now, scholars tell me this is the only time that Jesus ever describes spiritual qualities in himself. It's kind of surprising. Jesus only one time will talk about himself in terms of spiritual qualities, and he uses these two words, uh, humility and gentleness. Know the passage? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So here's Jesus saying, Come to me. I'm going to give you what you so desperately need. Rest. Maybe, maybe you show up this morning and that your your very being is just crying out for it. Uh, okay, maybe physical, but there's something deeper, isn't there? There's just this desperate, desperate need that we have for true, lasting rest. Rest that endures, rest that's eternal, rest that rescues. And Jesus says, I'll give you that rest. And here's how he gives it to us. And here's the way he can give it to us. The only way that Jesus can give us this rest is if he comes humble and gentle in heart. Humble and gentle. The one who is the center of the universe, the one who is all glorious, the one who ha does have all strength and judgment, he comes and chooses not to cling to it, exercise it. Instead, he comes to serve, comes to take the lowest place, comes to die, and we're saved. We get the rest. So let's, let's go to the next pair of characteristics. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll start to swing our way back to unity in the church. So you have humility and gentleness, patience and what we'll call loving forbearance. Patience and loving forbearance. Uh, patience, this particular word, the, the, the old English language uh, is probably even a little more vivid. Long-suffering. That's the idea here. Long-suffering. Paul's saying we, we, we preserve unity as we suffer long with others. You, you and I both arrive within the body of Christ and we're patient with one another. Patient with the struggles, patient with the perspectives, patient with the weakness. We're, we're long-suffering with one another. And then right connected to that, a similar theme, loving forbearance, or to use the language Paul says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. Bearing with the weakness, bearing with the sometimes failures, just bearing with someone different within the body of Christ. And this, this actually helps us focus in on on two key aspects of preserving unity of the church, two key aspects that we're probably that are against our instincts. 
And so here are these two, two characteristics that, that Paul's urging on us. One, preserving unity will cost you something. And two, it probably will cost you something even if you're right. Okay, let's take them one at a time. Preserving unity of the church will cost you something. You see how that's baked into Paul's language here? Patience, long-suffering, suffering long with one another. It's baked in, isn't it? It's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require you to suffer long with others. Or, or bearing with one another. Uh, or enduring with one another. Same kind of idea. Uh, built in is this idea. It, it probably will be hard. It will probably hurt at times. It will cost you something. And we, we probably need to admit to ourselves that this is usually the opposite of our instincts. Um, that, that when we step into a situation, step into a relationship, step into a, a group, and, and we're, we're kind of hit with, wow, this feels hard. We're, we're hit with, this is not what I'd prefer. Uh, this 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 involves sacrifice for me. This is this is hard. That we we often tend to assume that's the clue that we're in the wrong place. Oh, this is hard. This doesn't feel natural. Uh, I must be in the wrong place. Don't we often do that sometimes? Wow, this is difficult. Maybe maybe I should go. We could we could put put pause there and say, aren't we really glad that Jesus didn't do that? I mean, think about that one. Jesus showing up into this world, entering in, and looking around, and wow, this, this is a mess. This is hard. This is going to cost me something. I guess I shouldn't be here. Are we really glad Jesus didn't do that? Now, we're not saying that there is never a time to leave a relationship or, or leave a church. Uh, there can be. There is. There are situations that are, that are so destructive, so toxic, uh, that there is, no, uh, there is no blessing in staying. There's no good either to you or to the other person or group. Uh, that the wise thing is to separate yourself. Now, we don't do that quickly. We do it with lots of wisdom and counsel. Uh, but there is such a situation but the point is not never separate, but point is challenge that instinct to say, oh, this is hard, that's my clue, I shouldn't be here. Because preserving unity, long-suffering, bearing with one another, it will cost you something. In fact, we might even be able to say this challenging thing. Uh, if your presence isn't costing you something, then you might not be doing it right. Right? Might not be doing it right. That's challenging. Okay, so there's the, there's the first one. Uh, preserving unity uh, will cost you something. And secondly, you might need to pay that price even if you're right. Okay, so here we have probably another hidden assumption for, for most of us. That okay, you have a you have a challenging issue, a divisive subject, and 
Well, we, we often tend to assume if I'm on the, the correct side, biblically, practically, whatever, if I'm on the correct side, well then come on. The other people who are wrong, they're the ones who should suck it up, right? I shouldn't sacrifice. I'm right. We, 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 tend, we might not ever say it that way, but we tend, we tend to walk in assuming that. Uh, that if, if you're correct, you shouldn't have to bear the burden. Uh, but notice from Paul, he's talking about something different, something harder. Uh, patience, long-suffering, uh, bearing with one another. Uh, the, the idea is that there is this someone else that very well might be the weak one, the struggling one, uh, the, the one who doesn't have it right. And yet Paul's language is that what we do is we come alongside that one and say, I will help you bear that burden. I will take some of that burden and bear it myself. I will endure. I will bear with one another. I will suffer long. Can you, can you start to see how we're getting a, a trajectory for, for handling challenging issues within the church? You start to start to walk your way through, and you, you get something like a, like a strategy. Because there's always going to be a challenging issue, isn't it? It's, it's always, always has been, always will be. Uh, give it a few years, it'll be something different. Go backwards. Well, you go back to Paul's day. Uh, it was. It had nothing to do with pandemics. It had to do with, well, do you eat meat or do you not eat meat? And there was divisiveness and challenging controversy. Our day, oh, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you get vaccinated? Do you not get vaccinated? Do you vote for this politician? Do you not vote for that politician? Again, give it two years, three years, there'll be a whole new list of things. Um, it's not to say that any of those details aren't significant, aren't worth talking about and wrestling through. Uh, they, they can be, they are. But Paul, Paul here gives us something of a strategy to work our way through it. Uh, so, okay, you start where we, where we started at the beginning. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That we remind ourselves, first and foremost, what our unity is based on and what it's not based on. Uh, that it's not based on our agreement on every little issue, even if that issue is is important one, has, has significance or and has implications. That our unity has to be, must be, can only be based on the oneness of God and the oneness of his gospel. So we start there. Then we move to humility and gentleness. Uh, you and I might feel very passionate about a particular thing, but we walk in and we, we go next to humility. Humility recognizing as passionate as I feel and as right as I think I am, humility means I, I force myself to wrestle with, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. Humility and gentleness. And then we go to long-suffering and forbearance, which is even if you happen to be right, you're still willing to sacrifice in order to love, in order to be patient, in order to bear with. See how that helps us work through in a really powerful way. Can you imagine if we, we ran through this with each challenge that came up? It's a powerful strategy. 
But also, see that it is much more than just a strategy. Do you see how this very thing gets us to the very core of who we are? The very core of our hope? Do you see this is Jesus, isn't it? This is Jesus. He is the center of the universe. He is the all-glorious one. But he doesn't cling to those rights. He doesn't cling to those privileges. He makes himself low. He comes to this earth to take that lowest place, humility, gentleness. Uh, he, he bears the ultimate burden of being patient with us. He bears the ultimate burden, even the cross. Even, even the suffering of being judged for our transgressions. Uh, in order to save in order to continue to be patient with us. Think of how patient the Lord is with you now, all the way until that final day when you're perfected, how patient the Lord is with us each step of the way. So we read through this passage and we say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And this is my hope in him. So that being forced to wrestle with issues of unity... You see where it goes. It forces us to see Jesus. So that if we, if we walk in this, if we go down this road, sure, there'll be challenge and hardship and, and cost and sacrifice. But if we go down this road, you see what it'll do. It'll have us seeing Jesus more. It'll have us day by day knowing his love up close. Knowing his, his power up close. And, and that's something to get excited about. That's something to be able to conclude, oh yes, uh, there are powers of darkness that mean for evil. But I see where God is doing for good. And I can even get excited about it. Because what it's drawing me to is it's drawing me to Jesus. To know him better. To walk with him more. And, and, of course, the devil can't win anyway. Right? He can't. Not in here. Because, remember, this Jesus we're talking about, this Jesus of, of, of humility and gentleness, this Jesus of long-suffering and patience that saves us, this Jesus is not just out there somewhere. This Jesus is in here. In here. Because what he purchased for us uh, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. So what he has put in us is this Spirit of Christ. This, this Spirit of humility, you have it in you, believer. This Spirit of gentleness and patience, in you. This Spirit of sacrificial love and forbearance, it's in you. It's in us. And that's why the devil won't win. Not in here. Out there, uh, I don't know. In here? Why? Greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. The devil doesn't stand a chance at the end of the day. So preserving unity. Can, can, you, can you see? Yeah. Th th there is, wow, devil's having a field day. A sense that is absolutely true. And something sobering about it. But we bring in that, that gospel, that Jesus, that, that Joseph truth of what he means for evil, God means for good. And we start to see the good. 
as we as we walk this road of preserving unity, we're we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him more clearly than perhaps we've ever seen him. Get to see his love and know his 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 patience with us, his presence with us. And we can be confident in doing it, knowing that we do have a strength that will help us, even the spirit of Jesus himself. Well, let's let's walk this road together and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that your grace is powerful, sufficient. Thank you that you're doing a marvelous work in the world. And Lord, uh, even as we remember where you're taking, uh, Lord, this world into that that transformed consummation where all the, the difficulties are gone and all evil vanquished, we can rejoice that along the way you're also doing something good in your people. By faith we cling to that promise, and by faith we 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 pray for that strength to to walk with one another in love and patience and gentleness. Lord, that you would preserve the unity and in the process show us the Savior. Help us rejoice in Him, delight in Him, uh, speak of Him to one another. Uh, and so know your heart more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.